Welcome back, Just King Things Bonusodes. Uh, here we are. We're talking about 1987's The Running Man. I'm Cameron. I'm Michael. And uh, joining us today, special guests teased across many different platforms, audio feeds, video feeds. <laughs> uh, Michael, what's the name of the fake TV channel thing in the in the book? ICS? Oh, in the no, book, no, no, it's no. Freevee. Yeah, uh, uh, shown to you over Freevee uh, in many different ways. We got a special guest, Simone de Rochefort. Yay, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for, for joining us. Yeah, um, thanks so much. You know, yeah, thank you been, for uh, responding to my viral tweet campaign to <laughs> raise attention for your show. <laughs> well, so here's the, here's the, you know, we appreciate that. You know, you've been a real hero over on Twitter.com. Twitter.com slash range touch, by the way. But mm-hmm. uh, you've been a real <laughs> champion, but where you have not been flexing as hard as you could. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some criticism to the show <laughs> yeah. immediately. You need to tweet at Mick Garris. <gasps> <laughs> Director Mick Garris, because we are still in a, what I would say, uh, social pressure campaign uh-huh. to, uh, to get Mick Garris to be on this show to talk about his films. And very frustratingly, Every time we tweet at Mick Garris to say, Mick Garris, we love you. Come be on our show. Be a special guest. We've had such special guests like (laughs) Kirk Hamilton, like Simone de Rochefort. Right. We're going to say that in the future. Mm -hmm. You could be one of them, Mick Garris. Uh, And Mick Garris has faved those tweets. (gasps) So we know he's seeing them or someone, someone on the Mick Garris team is seeing them, uh, but has not currently DM'd me. This uh, is a worst so. case worst case scenario than him blocking you. He's seeing. He hasn't mm-hmm. muted you. He hasn't blocked you. He sees. He knows. Exactly. Exactly. He ignores. Okay, I will I will do my civic duty. <laughs> I will tweet at McGarris. Is this film a McGarris joint? I'm afraid I didn't look. It's not. It okay. is a well, this is a great place to start because this is a movie that is directed. And I know, Michael, you have a lot of uh, production uh, knowledge that you've, you're bringing to the table, like you do every time. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're sad about it. You bummed out about it? About how much you know? About how much I, 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 I have like one just. There are probably a few things that'll come up, but I have just like one really bizarre story that I'm waiting to tell about this movie and how it got made. I. I it's just a, just a, such a strange thing to be able to, to share with people today. I am actually looking forward to it. Michael has teased the story to me now like three times. Oh, my goodness. Uh, which is great. Mm-hmm. So, but um, here, here is some important production knowledge in, in a broad sense. So this is directed by Paul Michael Glazer. And if that name doesn't, so it's, it is not a McGarris joint, as, as you put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Paul Michael Glazer is not really known, I would say, um, as a director for the most part. Although he did direct 1996's classic, Kazam. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so right. he did do that. But uh, he did kind of a run of directing from 1986 to 1996. So he did a full decade. But he is best known as uh, Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this whole episode is just going to be full of uh, people that I don't know much about, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know much about him before other than Starsky from Starsky and Hutch, which I really only know via the remake of Starsky and Hutch, uh, in which uh, Snoop Dogg plays Huggy Bear. 
I was going to say, Still, Stiller and uh, uh, Owen Wilson are in that. Uh, you know what else is related to, to that particular version of Starsky and Hutch, Cameron? Uh, what? Could be anything. Is Mick Garrison in it? Did he correct? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, plot, it's a plot point in Homestuck, Cameron. Oh, no! <laughs> Wait, Starsky and Hutch is the remake? Oh, yes, that specific remake. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, All of these like things. Everyone, if you're stuff. listening to this, you are already giving us money, and thank you so much. But uh, just know that when we start the Homestuck podcast, we can look forward to this happening constantly. Okay. Right. <laughs> well... Uh, but yeah, anyway, so it's directed by him. So not someone we associate with the, um, you know, uh, the Stephen king averse in a broad mm-hmm. sense. You know, this is not a, um, oh, what's the what's the other fella? Um, stand by me. That uh, guy. Reiner? Not mm-hmm. Rob Reiner, but the guy who produced it. I get, uh, oh, Darabont. Uh, Shawshank Red- Darabont, right? So it's neither of the big, the, the big Stephen King uh, people. But I would say in, in the public imagination... That this is a pretty pretty substantial. Uh, they might not associate it with Stephen King necessarily, but people know The Running Man. You know that it, it is. I think a mm-hmm. little bit more than a cult classic. Simone, had you seen the film before? So I had not seen the film before, but you're right that it is one of those ones where you vaguely know the title and you have a sort of concept of what it could be about. Uh, I I actually had a bit of distress and confusion as I began watching it because so I was totally unfamiliar with the Bachman book. Um, Mm. And as I started watching it, I became concerned because the Wikipedia page said it was a loose adaptation and I did not read it closely. So I had a, a moment of thought that this was an adaptation of The Long Walk. And <laughs> then I <laughs> the helicopter gunship. Yeah, <laughs> I quickly paused and I did a little uh, deeper read of the Wikipedia page and discovered that this was not the case. Um, but so so he really did like two books about running and walking, huh? In that Bachman world. Mm-hmm. He, he loved to yep. move. Bless his heart. <laughs> Uh, is that is that uh you know I, I, there's gonna be a lot of things that you could put on stephen king's tombstone um you know when he inevitably like all of us do passes away uh you could put shockmeister uh scaremeister uh or you could put he loved to move <laughs> uh, you know uh never wrote a book he could end you know, no. that kind of thing it would actually be deeply appropriate for Stephen King's, uh, based on his relationship to endings, for him to have a, a anticlimactic and difficult tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps getting re-etched and re-etched. Oh, yeah. Or they'll just never let him die. We'll make him some sort of Stephen King hologram. That's but, very uh, possible. Yeah, that's that's like way up there in, in the world of possibility. But would yeah, Stephen no, he King did write. want to be an AI? Sorry. <laughs> big question. <laughs> That's a big question. So uh, sound off in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Would Stephen King like to be an AI? Would you put him in charge of a train? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no. Is? I think he'd be pretty horrified by that. But carry <laughs> on. He computers. I mean, we, we established <laughs> in the, uh, the Firestarter episode, the man mm. loves to talk about what a computer can do. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, but, but uh, uh, long way around of saying, 
you know, this is in the public imagination. Weirdly enough, The Long Walk has still never been adapted into a film. So this is the the only Stephen King locomotive uh, property <laughs> that has been turned into a film so far. Um, yeah, this is the only Bachman movie. The literally the only one. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. None of. Oh wait, no. Hold on. Hold on. Thinner got made into a movie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Thinner's uh, wild. When we get to that, yeah. that movie. Yeah. Uh, Screenplay by Michael McDowell, by the way, who I've <laughs> shouted out on this podcast before. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, in my mind, I thought Roddy McDowell. <laughs> yes, or Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, oh, yeah. No, uh, no, no. no. Uh, Michael McDowell, the screenwriter of Beetlejuice. Oh. oh yeah. Um, well, so tell tell us the story that you want to tell us so badly because I have some additional stuff that I've learned, of course, by listening to the commentary track uh, that I listened to. There were two commentary tracks for The Running Man, and the first one was so boring that I could not work up the effort. Even though I told you, Michael, that I would do it, I mm-hmm. couldn't work up the effort to to listen to the second one. So that will forever be lost to time. But I promise you that I got uh, Paul Michael Glazer's riveting information about what he remembers about making this film which is very little uh but but i have some good stuff here uh that that goes with the production but michael tell us the explosive facts that you have uh, about the running man all right so actually i have a couple here that i'm going to get out of the way um one is bouncing off of the director whom you've already mentioned paul michael glazer uh from starsky and hutch he was not the original director of this film uh did he didn't bring this up in his commentary track did he he did, but or just like, very briefly and not no additional information. Okay, so the initial director uh, for this film, the person who signed on, uh, was uh, George P. Cosmatos, who is the guy who directed Rambo First Blood Part Two. Okay. Um, and he uh, rewrote, like he had a whole bunch of changes made to the script that basically made it into a Rambo film. Where, like, the the entire chase would have been happening kind of, like, in the wilderness, right? With, like, mud and, like, hunting people through trees and that sort of thing. Like, dashing over rivers and what have you. Um, and then he eventually, like, he went way over budget. <laughs> um, it just, <laughs> it, it did not go well. Uh, and, like, really production had not even started. And so uh, he got booted and they brought in Paul Michael Glazer, who had gotten his start directing... Uh, directing episodes of Starsky and Hutch. And he had a reputation for being a guy that you could pull in on a film and he would just do what the producer wanted. Hmm. So, mm. yeah. Gun. Um, other fun fact about George, George P. Cosmatos, of course, is that he is the father of, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, Panos Cosmatos, who is the director <gasps> of Beyond the Black Rainbow and Mandy. So, fun I... genre connection there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a wild fact. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, also, uh, so one additional step in there, uh, missing from that, is that Paul Michael Glazer was the second person hired in to fix this movie. In the middle, Andy Davis was brought in, and he actually shot two weeks of the film. And oh. then Paul Michael Glazer was brought in to fix what he had messed up. Now, who is Andy Davis? <laughs> Just another Toy kind of Story. hired gun. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, no, that's the fictional character. <laughs> okay. Wow, the kid from Toy Story directed two weeks of this movie. That's yeah. amazing. 
he what, wasn't even but, born you know yet. <laughs> well, he had a uh, weird turn of conscience. He was moving. Uh, he well, he was seven years old. He was moving homes, and uh, his mother left behind two of his most precious screenplays. And lo and behold, <laughs> when they got to the new place. Guess what was there? Oh goodness, uh, I'm sweating. Uh, I have but, a question about the budget of this film. If it is the right point to ask it, mm-hmm. sure. Was it considered? Large, medium, or small? Mm, well, according to Wikipedia, uh, it, it's $27 million, And mm-hmm. I don't know quite where they're getting that. I think that's about normal for an action film okay. in the mid to late 80s. I think we would call this just like a solidly, you know, um, reasonably budgeted film. I um, did think it was exactly perfect um, for mm-hmm. what this was. But I was curious. <laughs> Because it felt like there were places, but we'll get into that. Uh, Did you have a second incredible story, Michael? Yeah, well, it's not so much incredible as it just is. It's incredibly strange is what it is. So um, to to sort of work backward here, uh, one of the things that Cosmados actually, when he was on this project, was bringing in was the experience of his family uh, in Nazi-occupied Greece. Uh, Apparently. Yeah, apparently his uh, sort of version of this film would have went uh, much, much harder on kind of the fascism authoritarianism angle than it ended up doing. Uh, And this is connected to how this became a film to begin with. Uh, If you've listened to the main episode, you have heard me tease this. Uh, This movie became a movie because a person saw a paperback original copy of The Running Man in an airport and read it and thought this needs to be a film. And that person was a man uh, named George Linder, who is still credited as a producer on this movie. And he was a parent. Well, he was, he's an Austrian, uh, an Austrian by birth. Uh, and he ran or like was a part of some sort of company that produced the the like frames for racing bicycles in Europe and he oh. had uh struck out on his own and become the like premier uh, uh distributor of the the aluminum materials like that the piping and rails needed for in the United States needed for the construction of wheelchairs oh you okay. will notice in, in all of this that I've said in nowhere have I mentioned that he made movies or was involved with Hollywood. Um, and he wasn't. He found this book in an airport, apparently, and was so taken with it. Uh, and, and also sort of uh, importantly here, uh, he being an Austrian, right, uh, has a family history with World War II and specifically the Holocaust. Uh, and I believe his father was um, a survivor of a concentration camp. And so he reads The Running Man and he is so sort of taken with this story that he thinks, you know, this should be a film. And so he buys the movie rights to it. And he is uh, surprised to discover how expensive the movie rights are. Uh, and, and and somehow, and this is not at all clear to me, he also is now being put into touch with other producers who are also sort of confused. Because at this point, this is like 1982, 1983, uh, people do not know officially that Stephen King and Richard Bachman are the same person. So he found he he found like this like random novel in an airport uh library an airport store, right? An airport shop. An airport library. Yeah, an airport <laughs> library. 
uh, they send the books around through those pneumatic tubes. Uh, but yeah, so he he finds this uh, in the bookstore and is like, oh, this has got to be a movie, right? I want to buy the movie rights. And then he looks into it and the the agent is asking for like $100,000 for the film option, which is oh. just a lot of money. <laughs> Especially for a paperback original novel. Uh, but somehow this guy, like, gets the film rights. And, again, this is not a thing I can necessarily uh, verify because it's just sort of always constantly asserted or reported. Uh, he sells his uh, wheelchair company in order to finance this movie. <gasps> that oh is so God. strange. Yeah, and then he, he kind of falls out of production, and most of the production, like Cameron, you said, he, he didn't even have, like, a commentary track, so. No, yeah. That's a shame, because I really want to know how he finessed that. Oh, uh, the other thing, the hugely important thing, I forgot. The reason Arnold Schwarzenegger is the star is because that's what he wanted. He, in huh. fact, had Schwarzenegger meet his father, the wow. uh, uh, survivor, in order to convince Arnold to do this, apparently. Oh, Wow. Okay. Now, did the agent at the time, the agent realized that Bachman and King are the same person, but King, what, he wasn't like hugely, he was pretty famous at that point though, right? Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's so, like King at that point. Yeah. And one of the producers actually said in one of the, in a thing that I was reading, uh, one of the producers basically said, at one point we realized, like we had heard some, like throughout production we were like what this doesn't make any sense why is why are the rights to this so expensive and then at some <laughs> point they figured out they're like oh this is just stephen king yeah <laughs> uh yeah that's what so i i guess part of the the connection there too between um schwarzenegger and uh, uh Lindner, this producer is the austrian heritage yes mm-hmm mm. That's well. So that's interesting, and partially I, that connects up some things that that I found out about this film, or that I learned from the commentary, which is that um, when Arnold, so so Arnold Schwarzenegger has uh, had script approval for the film, so no changes could be made to the to the script without Arnold's approval. Incredible. They also wrote most of this movie on set. <laughs> 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 because pre-production had been so weird, right? And they had to rewrite the script kind of um, uh, basically when when it's not a Rambo movie anymore. They've got to re redo the script. What happens is that Schwarzenegger comes in and he also brings his uh, like kind of pet screenwriter, uh, Stephen D'Souza, who mm -hmm. wrote a bunch of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Um, so this the, is the guy who does all the quips? This is the quip man? He, oh, this is the quit man. This is like the, you know, a, um, this is the guy who makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look cool, right? <laughs> nice. That's his whole deal. So he like co-wrote Commando. He was like the quit guy on Commando. Uh, he actually ended up working on Die Hard, <laughs> Die Hard 2, and <laughs> Hudson Hawk. Whoa. Like wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so he, he did a lot of that stuff. I actually heard him on, um, I heard him interviewed one time, Stephen D'Souza, fascinating person, very much someone who seemed to be hired on movies that were having some production troubles and then was there to be a screenwriter on set and would be there to kind of help make things. He also uh, wrote and directed the Street Fighter film, by the way. Spectacular. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, so he was kind of brought in as a, someone to help massage the process to make the whole thing out. And they were, they were quite literally designing shots like effect shots on set because pre-production had gone so poorly and they were writing the script at the same time. And so they would like, uh, 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 
Paul Glazer said they would like write chunks of the script and then they would, it would be like 3 a.m. and they would send it over to Arnold's trailer and he would have to approve it. And after doing that one or two times, Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, yeah, it's fine. Don't, please do not wake <laughs> me up. <laughs> like, I trust that, I trust that you will do this correctly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, a notoriously, I would say, based on all this information, troubled production. But what's fascinating mm-hmm. is that, you know, Simone, you were saying a little bit earlier that, that it feels a little skimpy or uh, cheap in some places, you know. Um, but uh, for the most part, I think holds together really well. It holds um, together a thousand percent. It, and oh my gosh, I I absolutely loved actually some of the ways in which it almost felt in which it really felt like watching a wrestling match in like those big (laughs) empty chambers with like just the there are all these shots where it's just kind of backlit by these big old lights and there's like fog everywhere kind of obscuring the background and like you can tell that you know they shot this in the dark because they probably didn't have money or time to fill out a, a huge elaborate set but it works it works so well yeah, the, the the feeling that I have in the film is it, it is so much of a particular era where you could make a movie like this that looked like this that had just enough budget to kind of reach, but mm-hmm. never enough budget to really like latch on. Right. This is like it, it feels like, you know, this is the thing that uh, was the 99 cent rental at the video store. And because you know, it's not a new release and you bring it home to watch it and then you watch it and you're like, well, that was pretty cool. And then you kind of never think about it again. Or if you're me, right, you watch this like countless times because it was always <laughs> running in syndication on uh, the afternoon movie matinee on the like network affiliate where I was, which is also how I saw Sleepwalkers. Uh, so this and Sleepwalkers were on kind of a rotation for me uh, as a young child. Yeah, I've seen this movie th- 40 times, like no question in my mind. I've seen it a billion times. I think I had like a recorded VHS tape of it when I was a kid. And so (laughs) I saw it a billion times in that way. And like, you know, some like terrible four, three aspect ratio. Uh, What about, Um, what about it uh, made you want to watch it that many times when you were a kid specifically? Well, well, I didn't have a lot of movies to watch. So that's, that's going to be one of them. Um, and, uh, the other one is like, it's just like, uh, I feel this way about a lot of 1980s, like dystopian film. I feel this way about like a huge chunk of John Carpenter's work. Mm. It's just like an okay thing to turn on and like pay attention to when it's fun to pay attention to it and kind of like not think about when it's not. So for example, I think I've seen this movie, like I said, like 30, 40 times, maybe a lot of times in my life. I think the number of times I've actually seen the ending <sighs> is twice <laughs> maybe the two times <laughs> that i've watched that i watched it for the show like i don't think i've ever actually gotten to like the final scene of you know of them getting together and like getting rid of richard dawson or <laughs> like once you've killed all the stalkers or whatever i just like it's whatever you know arnold's gonna win it's that kind of thing um but uh, you know a lot of those movies like commando for example is mm. a movie i've seen a bunch of times and predator is a movie i watched that way too like all of those kind of like uh, what what in film studies get called like the hard body films of like strong dudes being strong dudes in in the in you know 80s action films would mad max just watch those fall into that area would, would what the original mad max N- no 
Oh. I don't think I saw the original Mad Men. I mean, it does fit into the era, but not oh, okay. for me. Um, uh, uh, not yeah, for Cameron, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, not uh, 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 driving cars around in Australia. This no is experience. elevated fare. <laughs> now, uh, the Road Warrior, uh, where everyone's wearing beautiful, immaculate, white, all white outfits in the Australian desert. Spectacular. Now, that's a movie. That's one we could talk about. Where a guy who looks like uh, uh, Mick Jagger but isn't Mick Jagger <laughs> is like doing wild stuff. Yeah, that's a movie for me. Being mean to a feral kid. Oh yeah, that's uh, Hitchcock couldn't do it better. But ah, oh, speaking um, of guys named Mick who are in movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, is that a good transition? Or <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I'm waiting on the payoff. Honestly, <laughs> Mick Fleetwood is in this. Uh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Uh, I got to the end of it. I mean, this is part of the the casting, uh, which maybe is it is a good time to talk about that. After I got yes. to the end of this movie, um, I of course went on IMDb as one does and started looking up everyone who's in it. And because I I'm not so familiar with like wrestlers of the '80s, and I don't know what Mick Fleetwood looks like off the top of my head, I was stunned. Stunned, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> he plays himself. He's himself out there. He's like, you banned my music, man. That's that guy. That's that's Mick Fleetwood. Mm-hmm. That, that was so weird to me when he was like, they banned my music. And I was like, all right, well, I should probably know who this is then. Like, yeah, and they don't explain it. I know him. There's so many people in this who they're just like, eh, you'll get it. And I was like, no, I was born in 1990. I don't. But I love it anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's it really reminded me of something that happens uh, like a decade later. Um, if you've ever seen The Postman, which is Kevin Costner's post-apocalyptic film that he mm. made, uh, <laughs> Tom Petty is in that movie. <laughs> yes. Tom Petty. <laughs> oh yes, that makes me really. And I probably wouldn't recognize him either, but I I love his music. So there we go. Uh, yeah, it's another. I don't. I don't understand why uh, post-apocalyptic films are like. You know what's really going to get people? Really <laughs> specific, like dad rock music. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it. Stephen King in a nutshell, right? Uh, yeah, kinda. I don't know. I wonder. I we should look afterward to see if Stephen King has ever commented on the fact that Mick Fleetwood is in this movie because I feel like Stephen King would never listen to Fleetwood Mac. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Why do you feel that yeah. way? Uh, it, it's uh, uh, not heteronormative enough. For <laughs> yeah, I was going to say there's. It, it doesn't have the, the 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 weight to it that it's it's not your Bachman Turner Overdrive. All right, which is where enough. the name Richard Bachman comes from. Oh, <laughs> gee. Okay. Okay. <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but other other great people in this, right? So Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it and, and killing it. Like, I think this is great, charming Arnold mm-hmm. uh-huh. from that time when he's really kind of uh, getting into that mode. You know, this is not quite like comedy Arnold. This isn't kindergarten cop Arnold yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's charming. I think he looks great. I think he has some of the, the like just most attractive outfits I've seen Arnold in is in this movie. Mm-hmm. When he is dressed up like a uh, like a construction worker <laughs> after he oh, escapes from, yes. from rock-breaking prison, I was like, this is a very specific look. You know, it's like suspenders and uh-huh. like, a tight like uh, gym shirt on underneath and it. And his tiny he's little hat. stogie. 
Yes, his tiny yeah. hat. It, it's beautiful. What does Whoever it say on his shirt? Because there was something on his shirt that was amusing to read, and now I don't remember what it is. It's like a, a it's some, it's a gym clothing. Yeah, it's like, it's like World Gym, and it looks kind of yes. like the Gold's Gym logo. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah, I. this was, I think, maybe the first time that I've really understood him as an attractive person. Um, <laughs> with his, like, very smooth, chiseled face and large square body um and his you know little jumpsuits and everything and yeah the construction outfit spectacular the hawaiian shirt moment yes oh my god that entire scene with like that little smirk on his face and those sunglasses i was so into that i was just tickled i was delighted I love the line later where he's talking to um I, I don't even know what her name is in the film. Amber. The, the yeah, yes, Amber. He's talking to her and he says, uh, well I I had the right shirt for it. She's like, Oh, we should have gone to Hawaii and he's like, I had the right shirt for it and you <laughs> fucked it up. And that's yeah. one of the best lines. Where did he get the shirt? Where did he get the shirt? <laughs> well, obviously it was one of the things that his brother who got uh, being disappeared for being a dissident left behind in his apartment, which he didn't change the security code to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. His brother got disappeared and that never comes up again. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. That shows up. Um, but, but yeah, so that is uh, Maria Conchita Alonso is who uh-huh. plays Amber and who does a, I would say fine job. But uh, mm-hmm. is not given a lot to work with here. Mm. I don't. I don't feel like any of that is her fault. No. Um, Spectacular uh, outfits, she, but yeah. Great outfits, but is also kind of cast in someone's very specific fetish video. Yeah. Um, where, where she is tied up, uh, you know, kind of st- sitting straight up, and she's also wearing pantyhose, and you can see her like. I don't know. There's something about the shot there that is very specific I, to someone's imagination of a good time. Yeah, like the the way she is introduced is she comes home from a hard day at work and then decides to, you know, do a like a, a kind of workout, right, an exercise while watching television. Yeah. And Captain what this Freedom's is, workout routine. Yes, she's yes, doing yes. Captain Freedom's workout routine with Jesse Ventura. Um, but her choice of like, she, we see like the first time we actually see her is she is like wearing her black lace see teddy on like an incline bench lifting weights to this video yeah like, that is her workout outfit yeah you're right you're right it's very um <laughs> it's it's not realistic workout clothes but that whole scene i actually loved that moment where she comes home and she turns on like her voice activated coffee maker <laughs> and her voice oh, activated it. led strips and i felt like that was one of the places where the budget for this movie really worked because it's just like a regular coffee maker and i have those lights in my house but because you know, they they didn't like try to go overboard creating some weird sci-fi coffee maker. It looks fine to a modern viewer. Mm-hmm. It looks like, oh yeah, this this could be my kitchen. And then the cabinets are all metal, so that feels like dystopia sci-fi-esque. <laughs> but everything else is like, this is recognizable to me as a person living in the 2020s. It makes sense. It's great. Uh, what's fascinating about that too is that that they built very few sets for for the film. Um, most things were location shots or like finding places to do it, and, and I have some information to share about some of those Ooh. later on. Uh, but this is uh, this was a built set. They chose to build this apartment, 
And hmm. uh, it, it's really interesting to me that it, because, you know, the kind of art design across the whole thing of like these uh, like stone tablets with writing on them that are the wall art. Mm. Oh, yeah. Very reminiscent yeah, of Blade yeah. Runner, of um, uh, Deckard's apartment, uh, of, you know, what he has on his walls. It's a really weird kind of moment of like, the future will have art from everywhere in the world. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> I think um, my but, favorite thing about this apartment was that big glass window that's done with those like square tiles of glass, like you would see, I guess, like in a pool almost. Uh-huh. And then mm-hmm. they have this purple to orange light that's happening behind it that kind of looks like a sunset or a sunrise. And it, it just looks so cool. It creates such a cool visual effect for the scene um, while like not going totally overboard. And I just adored that. I want that window in my house. Yeah, I don't. I you know, I didn't really look. I, I they they did not talk about the cinematographer. And on these episodes, I normally talk about the cinematographer. Um, the cinematographer for the film is Thomas Del Ruth, who I'm not super familiar with, but I can tell you. Well, he was the cinematographer for 96 episodes of The West Wing. Whoa! Wow. Okay, good for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, he did a lot of work. It looks like on TV in the 90s. Um, and quite a lot of movies in the 80s. Oh, like. that so makes you- sense. Uh, because a thing that I learned uh, through the Paul Michael Glazer thing is that when he g- came onto this project, he brought in a lot of guys that he had already worked with on Starsky and Hutch. Oh. So okay. a lot of the folks who ended up being crew on this were people who had primarily worked in TV before and after. Yeah, and looking at his kind of credits, that's absolutely what it is. So he looks like he worked on TV until nineteen, basically nineteen eighty seven. He other big stuff in eighty five. He was the DP for the Breakfast Club. Oh, so that's huh. pretty big. Huh. Um, but uh, yeah, it looks like he did some like kind of mid budget movies, and then he moved back into TV in the nineties. Uh, notably, here's some big uh, late eighties hits that he did. Look who's talking. Look who's talking too. <laughs> And then in 1992, The Mighty Ducks. Wow. <gasps> yeah. So that guy's so, legit. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it, you know, interesting. But I would say I would not associate any of these uh, with having stylistic cinematography, like <laughs> none of the movies I just talked about, uh, but just well done cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um other other people uh, who are interesting who are in the thing Yafet Kado is uh-huh. in the uh, in the film who just passed away he passed away in March of this year mm-hmm. um, he is also in Alien um, that's mm-hmm. kind of oh, his yeah. other really big role um, he plays the kind of um, uh, uh, freedom fighter one of the other freedom fighters uh, who's here Laughlin yeah Laughlin and someone else I wanted to talk about oh. Um, <laughs> the uh, du- du- uh, host of the Family Feud himself, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got to address Richard the Dawson. Dawson in the room. Oh, okay. <laughs> Would so I think. Let me let me position paper. Okay, okay. this is my white paper. For Richard it. Dawson. <clears throat> He's fucking rad. He's so cool. <laughs> Hell yeah! As, as as this character, he is perfect. His his bodily economy is perfect. He he does this thing where he will like use like do like the metal horns at people, but from the side and like whip his hands at them. He's pointing at people constantly. He's saying "You're beautiful" and "I love you" to everyone. That's like his catchphrase. 
Um, and he's murdering people mm-hmm. on television while mm-hmm. he does it. Um, he's a huge asshole behind the scenes, right? Like, uh, he's got like a funny don't touch the hair line where a guy's doing his makeup. Delightful. I love every single part of it. Um, that's my position paper. Richard Dawson in this film is perfect. He his introductory scene was the point where I turned around on it because I I was like really tired when I started watching it. And the whole first 15 minutes of this movie are this very overwrought scene where Arnold out of nowhere is like, I've decided as a cop, I'm not going to kill civilians. And it looks like an FMV and it, like it's delightful and silly, but um, it, it does. It does have that aesthetic to it. Uh-huh. That part where he's dangling out of the helicopter and it's his POV looking up at the two guys and they're like, <laughs> you're going to fry for this and I'll see you in hell. Uh, it's very funny. And then it goes into the prison and every word is like the network and the uplink. And it's just, ugh, ugh, it drags. And then you get to the introduction of the TV studio and Richard Dawson's character. And from that point on, I was committed. I was on board. He is just so slimy. And all of the Mm -hmm. choreography around the characters in the TV studio is (laughs) just so fun. Um, I wrote in my notes, this movie really benefits from a deep read. Because if you... (laughs) Watch all those scenes with, um, what's it, Damon Killian, who is Dawson's character, and then uh, Brenda and Sven, who are like the bodyguard, and I I guess his assistant. I'm not really clear on what their specific roles are. There's always all this stuff going on with them in the background. Like the first scene where um, Killian is seeing Ben Richards, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character's prison break. The makeup artist comes in with a plate of food and Damon waves him away and then Brenda swoops in and like grabs a treat off the plate and Sven is sitting at a table with like a red kerchief tied around his neck just like eating, eating food for some reason. And it's just like there's so much going on there with these characters that is so funny and just like character acting, like delightful character acting. So from that point on, I was 100% committed to this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I agree. The The first maybe, like, act of the film where it's establishing all of this stuff does feel like it drags. But once it hits the studio, everything is so high energy in the studio. You can tell mm-hmm. that this is where the movie wants to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they, so they really wanted to get this right to the, to the point where, uh, like I, I said earlier, right, they only built a couple sets. And this is the other set. So during pre-production, they had built an entire TV studio. And when uh, uh, Paul Glazer came on, he said, this will not work. There's no way to do uh, the kind of images that we want to do of the crowd and of of Killian kind of interacting with them and doing all of that stuff of of the kind of ensemble of the um, uh, uh, game show, right? We can't do that with the set. So they tore it down and rebuilt the whole thing. And I think what's so cool about him as a character is that it is exactly what you're talking about, Simone, in that he uh, Killian as a character is in fact himself in his little group of people, right? Like they get to be these kind of like, uh, I don't know, minion characters basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, um, and, and they do these like one-off things in all of these different roles and it, or all these different scenes that like give him texture and flavor and the ability to react and do all this kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and then when that doesn't matter, he can kind of stand up among them in the monologue. And those are all amazing. Um, 
it's also really funny. So I'm trying to look for the actor's name. I'm not going to be able to pull it, but the guy who plays the bodyguard, I think Sven. Sven Ole Hansen, I think. Um, so he reprises a role like this in Kevin Smith's movie Mallrats. Thorson, Thorson. sorry. What? He does? <laughs> yes. So the character in Mallrats of LaForce, who uh, is a... He, he is the head of mall security. He's played by the same actor, and his whole goal is protecting a, a game show that's going to happen wow. in Mallrats. And so it, it's like Kevin Smith has brought this guy along to reprise the role of like the enforcer uh, for, um, for a TV show. Also another movie I watched a thousand times as a child. <laughs> um, I had questions about Sven um, because I started just to notice him. I think from the, from the moment that he escorts Captain Freedom out of the studio and is like, you have to go, you, you gotta go kill Ben Richards. You, look, you're the only one we have left. <laughs> I started to notice him. And then when I went back and rewatched the beginning, I noticed all those little touches like, him eating, him lighting uh, Damon's cigarette in one scene, which is just so good. Mm -hmm. And so I totally red-pilled myself into believing that this would lead up to a moment where it's revealed that he is Ben Richards' missing brother. Um, That That did not happen. Um, And it culminates with this moment where Damon is like, so, hey, Sven, can you can you please kill Ben Richards? And Sven just looks at him and is like, no. <laughs> and I, I, I really expected that to be like, this is my brother. <laughs> we are, we, we've been playing you this whole time. We're reunited at last. <laughs> um, but I guess it's just like an Easter egg for people who know him from previous films with Arnold, I guess. I don't know. I don't. That would have been so good if he was his brother. Right? That would have been perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, definitely just like a whole plot line that's just dropped into thin air. Yeah. It is. Uh, sometimes you get politically reeducated out of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. No, I I do like that he is like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, in the same way that Captain Freedom is basically like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't. What, what are you talking about? I do exercise videos now. I'm yeah. not like a dude that kills guys anymore. I mean, I will kill one more guy, but just not this guy. <laughs> so maybe, you know, before we talk or, you know, we can, weirdly enough, I think a lot of the movie is uh, summarizable rather than in-depth analysis. But I do want to talk about one more person, which is Jesse the Body Ventura. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, A.K.A. Henry Cavill, right? He looks so much <laughs> like Henry Cavill. Would you think that? I did think that. I wrote it down in my notes. <laughs> I I don't think it looks like Henry Cavill at all. Why, why do you why do you why do you say that? square head? Okay, gotcha. I wrote down. I here here's my really in depth note. No context, mm-hmm. no timestamps, no anything. This guy looks like Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> I sure think it was when he right, was wearing so. the turtleneck because that's what he wears oh, in yeah. the Mission Impossible movie. Mm-hmm. Square head. Anyway, yeah, so I get that's it. what I He's feel. Got, he also has the same chin. Yes, chin similar chin dimple. Um, I would like for, so for someone who can do this, you know, this is not my, uh, skill, but go ahead and tweet at us. I'd like someone to make a, an anamorph, uh, you know, anamorph cover between Henry Cavill and Jesse, the body Ventura. <laughs> well, cause they're remaking I don't know this, what right? Middle states are. He should totally play Captain Freedom. I think they should just get Jesse Ventura back. Now that's a, around. that was a situation for me because I, I Googled this man, of course, as well, because I don't, I'm oh, ignorant yeah. and you never like to see actor politician on a wikipedia page but it seems like he's not Mm -hmm. the worst maybe 
Well, no. I mean, uh, <laughs> so this is something we talk about uh, occasionally on the Range Touch official podcast, which uh, if you're a listener, you have access to that already. That's something that's here in the Patreon feed. Um, uh, we recently had a conversation on, on that show, uh, Danny and I, about <laughs> um, what is it that makes uh, former Navy SEALs so interested in conspiracy theories? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because... Jesse Ventura went on to become the governor of Minnesota after he was a successful professional wrestler and actor. He was uh, the governor of Minnesota and uh, then became a very prominent conspiracy theorist, um, which he continues to be. Hmm. Um, and uh, But I think a conspiracy theorist who... He's not an Alex Jones, you know? Yeah, he it's, like it's ran for the like Green a, Party. So he's like... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's still, it's still, it's not great, but it's not the worst. He He's not a, like a right wing grifter. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, I think he's just someone who legitimately really does believe in conspiracy theories. And here's the thing. He's been in one of the highest offices in the nation. Who knows? We just learned recently that UFOs are definitely real. <sighs> so what does Jesse the body know? Also, he fought a predator and, and well, he died, but he fought that predator. Dang. Um, so what, what does he know that we don't, I don't know, but yeah, so he went on to do that and, Want me to tweet uh, at him and get him on the pod? No. <laughs> uh, please no one tweet at Jesse the body <laughs> to get him on the pod. I don't, I feel like that's attention we don't want. Uh, Mick Garris, uh, friendly older gentleman who's great at making films and has long white wispy hair and is kind of like a, like a cool dad. Yeah. Um, and who I recently learned had a uh, um, a very severe heart attack and, and made it through that. I think we've already said congratulations to Mick Garrison and hope you're you're feeling better. I repeat that here again. But also found out he takes like 10-mile walks regularly. Wow. So he's just like out in nature doing it, Mick Garrison. This is the kind of factoid that makes him not want to come on the podcast. You know too much. I just listened to his podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> come on, Mick. Just do to me. I'm like what some I kind of listen to my creep <laughs> listening to someone's <laughs> podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, a murderer. Uh, uh. But yeah, Jesse the body is probably like in a bunker right now, and yeah. I don't. I don't need a call from the bunker. But he's in this <laughs> film, and he's great, even though his character has no resolution whatsoever. He just disappears. Yeah, he yeah. fights. It sets him up to, we think he's going to fight Ben Richards. And then it's like, no, you're actually fighting the stunt double um, for the ed- the live edited TV spot, which rocks. Oh. Um, and then he never shows up again. No. Yeah, he's this out. is weird. So a thing that I found out, I don't know if this was mentioned on the commentary track, Cameron, but the that entire scene was... Uh, redone in an edit after test screenings did you hear anything Mm. about this no i I did so so yeah this movie there are three edits or maybe even four edits i I have it somewhere in my notes here um there are many different edits of this film um and uh the reason for that is that like i said they were writing the script as they were going basically and it never really kind of cohered together. And they did some reshoots, I think. Or, you know, as you're saying, Michael, they did some reshoots. But, yeah, like, um, the the proper editor did a cut. Like, the, the person who was actually credited with the, the edit for the film. Um, apparently, the scriptwriter D'Souza did an edit at some point. Okay. And they, like, tested that. And they didn't go with it. 
Ultimately, Paul Glazer did an edit with some reshoots, and that is what we have seen. So this is, the, quote unquote, the director's cut of the film um, is what we what we are seeing. But yeah, they it was kind of, the end of the film was kind of a mess, and I think you can feel that. It, mm-hmm. The movie does not, the last 10 minutes are like whatever the hell happens, happens, right? It really kind of deflates, I think, at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just specifically, like one of the things that was supposed to happen, I mean, did you, did, did they talk in the commentary about the twist? No, or no. I don't. I didn't watch the commentary. Why am I answering this question? <laughs> you're so involved in the story. You're like, no, I didn't. Right. So uh, the the issue was um, that scene where Captain Freedom. Uh, what happens for for the the listener at home who has not seen this um, is that in order to kind of like uh, regain control of the situation, the network decides that they are going to have Captain Freedom. Uh, kill, well, first of all, they want him to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's not going to do it. So they're also then going to have him uh, kill like a, a two stunt doubles that they then use their far future computer technology to uh, doctor the footage to make it look like he has killed Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, uh, Maria Conchita Alonso, right? Uh, and we get to see all of this in the blow by blow, right? We see how they like come into the arena and then Captain Freedom starts kicking their asses. And then we watch as all of the footage is edited in real time. Like they're basically mo-capped on, like they mo-cap their faces from like some previous footage onto the new footage. And it's, it's, it's such a incredible like thing to see how something that is easily doable now is done constantly was imagined, you know, in 1987, mm-hmm. um, right. Kind of the, 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 the speculative imagination at work of like, because the, the thing, I don't know if this is the case. It looks like they're editing all of this footage in real time because at the end they have to like edit off Arnold's face from the footage of the man they just killed. Anyhow, that's how that's all presented. We know what's happening the entire time. In the original cut of the film, that's just how it, like, it came in with Arnold and Maria, and they got killed. What? And then it was revealed that it was all doctored by the network, right? It was supposed oh. to be, like, a twist. And uh, I think this is part of the reason why Captain Freedom falls out, is because after this point, like, when they start recutting this scene, I, I think maybe he kind of, you know, just falls onto the cutting room floor or something. Um, because what happened in test screenings is people got really confused. They were like, what? You killed Arnold Schwarzenegger? And then it would, uh, you know, it showed... And then, like, what it happened afterward is, you know, after the scene, it shows... Uh, Arnold and Maria in like the underground rebel base where they're hanging out watching their own deaths on TV. But like they lost mm. the audience in test screenings. And so that had to be completely redone. I, I can kind of see that because that happened to me even a little bit as they as he like I, I, I did have to rewind actually <laughs> uh, for that part, even though it was more realistic to me now. Anyway, sorry, Cameron, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. I, 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 uh, it makes a lot of sense to me that that happened because I know that they did a lot of test screening. And I know that there was a lot of fighting back and forth between, I think it's Taft Production Group, the, the, the big financiers of the film, mm-hmm. that I, there was a lot of fighting just because you know, the, the production of this movie was so difficult um, that uh, they, they were really trying to get the thing out the door and they really wanted it to be a hit. Uh, and the movie did make money, so, you know, I, I don't think it was a huge hit, but um, 
you know, it, it was profitable, mm-hmm. but they did a huge amount of testing to figure that out. It was financially successful compared to Arnold's previous film, which it was considered his first flop because this is the, the very beginning oh. of where his star is really starting to rise. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, because he had done, uh, what, Hercules in New York, right? That's him. Mm-hmm. And that's a De Laurentiis movie. And that was his first film. And that was like a garbage movie. <laughs> yeah, that's 1970. That's 1970. So that's way beforehand. Um, let's see here. So, yeah. Um, when is this? This is 87? Yes. 87. Ooh, he's got some hits going on before this, y'all. So guess what comes out in this year also? Oh, I already know. You can guess Simone. I, yeah, Simone, uh, what do you want to guess? I don't know. Not at all? No. Wait, is it an Arnold movie? Yep. Uh, He's got another hit that comes out. In is, it's not Terminator, is it? It's not Terminator. Okay. I I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Predator. <gasps> wow. It's him and Jesse the Body reunited together two twice in one year. These two men got to hang and be, I don't know if they're friends or not. Who knows? But I want them to They're be. both politicians uh, and actors, so <laughs> they're yeah. in that weird but little club. different parties. Yeah, you know? that's true. Different, they have different political perspectives. But yeah, so it looks yeah. like Arnold in the 80s is really strong, obviously, right? So we got Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. You know what? Uh, Sorry, uh, Sven is mm-hmm. also in Predator as a Russian officer uncredited. Oh, oh. that's right. Yep. Oh, dang. Yeah, they're they're in it. So it looks like, sorry to get off track, but it looks like you're talking about Raw Deal, Michael. Yes, I think um, so. We, yeah, never seen AKA this. AKA Triple Identity. <laughs> you know who's also oh, yeah. in that? Wait. Sven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. I am obsessed what I really with this love conspiracy. About this? <laughs> yeah. Like, these, this is clearly, like, the closest, unfortunately, that our generation has to this is, like, when Adam Sandler and all of his friends make their tax uh, write-off movies together. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> now, since, since I am on this page, I, I, it's all making sense to me. So Sven Ole Thorsen was in Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, and Red Sonja, um, and... Uh, I believe Arnold was in all of those as well. So they just have this like mm-hmm. history of being in movie together. So that's just all it is. Like I made this whole conspiracy about it's so significant <laughs> that he's here and getting all this screen time. No, they're just friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he gets brought in. I wonder if he's like one of Arnold's friends and he's like, all right, if you want me, one, you got to pay me a bunch of money. Two, you got to bring my buddy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's coming with me. Um, you know, it, and it's, that is the same as the Adam Sandler thing of like, yep. um, uh, who's the uh, uh, Rob Schneider? Yeah, it's like, oh. Oh, you, you want me here? Well, you got to give five minutes to my buddy Rob Schneider. How dare you mm-hmm. compare them? <laughs> I'm, this I'm is Denmark's strongest man. Whoa, was he really? In 1983, Yes. It sounds like this is a spinoff podcast you're going to do where you just watch all the movies that this man made. <laughs> I might. <laughs> and it would overlap uh, 100% with, with Arnold's filmography. Um, well, uh, let, let's see. Uh, big stuff that kind of uh, echoes through this movie. Things that stick out to you. Uh, I One thing I want to say that I learned from the commentary is that the prison they were in at the beginning of the film, that's basically all the previous director shot. Huh. In the two weeks that he was in the movie, and he was spending so long getting like every piece of footage correct 
that they replaced him immediately because <laughs> uh, it was like too distressing on the budget. But uh, what is interesting about that is that it was a real life steel mill and all of the crew uh, that had been shut down previous, previous to the film. And um, it was full of tailings oh. from iron production and steel production. Uh-oh. And so the crew was constantly getting headaches and spontaneous nosebleeds while they oh, were there. Oh no. Yeah. That's pretty bad, yeah. huh? That's really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, so this guy wasted the whole budget on a thousand identical shots of those stupid dish things with the red and green flashing lights? Basically, yeah. Okay. And that four minutes of footage where, like, the guy is trying to type the password into Oh, the my computer, God! And he, keeps, and he keeps typing it, I think, correctly, but the computer is just like, no, no, no. And then he types it correctly again, and then it works. Was I misunderstanding that? Was nope. <laughs> no, so there are two exactly things. One is I think it, for some reason, doesn't work inside the building, even though we clearly saw a security guard using the computer inside the building literally a minute earlier when Weiss does a brilliant hacker move of walking up behind someone and looking at his screen <laughs> and memorizing a number. Okay, and then the second thing is I think there's another prison guard outside with an identical computer who, to my understanding, when Weiss flipped the thing off, he would just flip it back on. And his job was just to stand outside with a little folding table, I guess, and poke at a computer. So you, you see why I was kind of annoyed with the beginning of this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of cross-cutting with the exact same shot. Yeah. Which makes time feel like it's going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it is bizarre. No, you're right. But it, it did treat us to a wonderful effect uh, where a man runs through it. And it's very much, if, if, you, if you haven't seen this film, but you're familiar with Battle Royale, the, mm-hmm. the Japanese film, um, where they have the, the kind of collars around their neck with an explosive. That's the exact thing that's happening here. Uh, and so we, we get this this prisoner who like runs th- through the line because he thinks it's it's triggered, and they're like, "Don't do it!" And he runs, and then as he is running, the explosive goes off, and it just like explodes his head very graphically. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it looks great; it's a great effect. Yeah. Um, Paul Glazer said in the commentary that they in fact had a much better shot that was a little bit closer up, and it was so graphic <gasps> that the MPAA made them remove it. Wow, <laughs> that's nuts. And that, um, I mean, that's another thing is that then Mick Fleetwood deactivates all their collars and that whole t- technology just never comes back again, huh? Well, it's a, just a prison technology. Just a prison thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got TV. Your spinoff else. podcast, just prison things. No, uh, it's prison stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that happens. Um, and then we get the part that we talked about earlier uh, with, you know, he, he meets up with Amber and doing all that stuff, tries to go to Hawaii, gets caught in the airport, and then gets brought into the Running Man. Running Man, just a TV show where um, uh, people are trying to escape from people called stalkers, and they got to go to four quadrants. Why they're called quadrants, we don't know. That's never visualized in the Mm-mm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, and but basically, it's like four areas they got to go to, and each has a mini boss. It's very much a video I mean, game. I was going to say it's like it's it's Arkham yeah. City. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it basically, is Arkham City. Um, and uh, but so he's got to fight uh, four dudes. Um, what is it? Well, it's, it's three. three. No, I mean, if Captain Freedom three, actually yeah. fought him, it'd be four. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, the first guy, Sub-Zero, no relation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. wait, isn't Who someone is... from the Street Fighter? No, he's Mortal Kombat. Never mind. Carry on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh... The uh, but yeah, so it's like basically a sumo wrestler who uh, does hockey stuff and has a sharp hockey stick. I yeah. loved him. Yeah, I mean it's um it's the professional wrestler uh, Professor Tanaka is is was his stage uh, name. Gotcha. Uh, they um the so something I guess you know during intercut with all of the action that happens in the Running Man game show we're, we're cutting back to richard dawson right and he's interacting with the crowd he's doing all that stuff and the way that the stalkers are chosen is that the crowd chooses them right mm-hmm. so he goes up to someone and he interviews them and uh he the woman who is being chosen here to to pick the stalker who's going to attack ben richards is going to attack uh arnold schwarzenegger this is uh charlie's mom from it's always sunny in philadelphia <laughs> Which blew my mind. And she says, oh, you know, I just love my men. Mm, a little bit cuddly. And then so she chooses Sub-Zero, which is, um, I don't know. I felt very much of the 80s, uh-huh. like every part of that. Uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, I, I guess the th- my question for you is, how did anyone get to this concept for a character? Is, is that for both of us? For anyone on the planet to answer. <laughs> it is a... <laughs> it, it is a hockey, a murderous hockey guy. Murder hockey wrestler. Um, you know, yeah. I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> but my reaction was immediately very positive. I was very excited to see that we were going to get a silly scene on ice skates with an actual giant hockey net. That traps men inside it. I, I was gonna say I love the oh, hockey wow. net traps that like Weiss like gets like slips into this hockey net and then it just like closes around him. Yeah, he gets he gets punted in. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. There was something really appealing to me about all of the stalkers. Although my relationship with Dynamo changed later in the film, which maybe we'll talk about. Um, I I they were just so colorful and weird like conceptually weird and i'm trying to put my finger on like what about them was so appealing but i almost felt like the people in the studio you know uh, hopefully not wanting to see people innocent people be murdered but i felt so enthused to see like oh yeah what's this guy's special power gonna be what what's gonna happen now oh my god he's got a hockey stick that's a knife um it was Delightful, which is a word I think I've used several times in connection to this film now. Well, I, I think part of this, too, I think what's so because I agree, I think all of them are really engaging, even Captain Freedom, who like doesn't have a thing other than being like a media personality. I, I think what is so engaging about all of them is that you can imagine an alternate universe, especially in 1987, where it's like a ninja, mm. a military guy. A you know I, I don't know like a pirate yeah that would be the, that would be the year two thousand four if there were a ninja and a pirate in it but also a giant um, uh, anthropomorphic bacon mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you can you can imagine like almost like a Street Fighter cast right of these like cultural stereotypes uh, you know the the warriors of different cultures and he's got like fight all of them mm-hmm. right but it but it seems almost like they had that you know that that's where they started and they were like no. These will have to be things that don't exist in the world. 
Um, and and then they just kind of do that because I think Dynamo is really fascinating too. You know, he's a a, a person covered in light bright who can electrocute you with like. As a child, what I always thought were just magic powers. <laughs> of course, yeah, <laughs> naturally. It's technology, you know. It's it's like lightning gloves or something, right? But as a kid, I was like, oh yeah, he's just the magic one. Yeah, <laughs> for of whatever course. reason. But but he sings opera the whole time. Yes, that wasn't even that wasn't in the script. The actor they cast was just an opera singer. That, and so they were like, yeah, just do that. It really it 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 is wrestling, and obviously because yes. a lot of these actors are wrestlers as well. But it is just wrestling and that's what wrestling is I mean, I mean i'm not a huge wrestling fan don't get me wrong i don't really watch it regularly but what i understand is like somebody comes out and they've got their character and they're really over the top and they are just putting on a fight show for you and that's just how i felt about all these scenes and that was sort of augmented by them all taking place in a different quote-unquote arena where we don't really mm-hmm see much of the environment like i said outside of here is a space here are like some lights or maybe some barbed wire or something um that will be be used in this fight um with one exception who i the fire guy what's he called firestorm fireman uh i think that's an x-man <laughs> fireball uh, fireball yeah fireball um who is in of course a an unidentifiable tunnel where i'm pretty sure they do repeat Several shots, which made me very <laughs> happy. <laughs> yeah, I think Fireball, uh, a lot of the Fireball uh, fight is repeated in Metal Gear Solid 3 as well, <laughs> which is really weird. Um, I think that's actually the setup for that, the the structure of it going down the hallway. Anyway, yeah. it's a, for our, some other podcasts that we don't do. One final um, thing to say about Sub-Zero before mm-hmm. we move on. Um, can we unpack, here is Sub-Zero, now plane zero as a line yeah what (laughs) like that's that's how they that's how the who is it that says that it's how they describe his death it's arnold arnold Arnold. says that yeah like the tv cameras he's like here's my quip i've killed this man now i'm gonna say a funny thing and that's what he says (laughs) he's just a regular zero now (laughs) yeah i don't you know I, it, like, I, oh. I do not know. And we forgot to mention the most egregious quip, uh, which is when uh, w- when they get sent off into like the zone or whatever, where they're having this is one of the big differences from the book. <laughs> one of uh, is that in the book, it's it's a cross country chase, right? Literally, the entire country takes part in the game and everyone that you meet is encouraged to like, you know, be your enemy. Uh, and here they have to, like, send you down these rocket sleds into their their Arkham City, like, containment unit. Uh, and before uh, Arnold gets, you know, shot off, he says, I'll be back. Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> so, goodness. Yeah. Shocking to me, honestly, because uh, it, uh, it's it's not. So here's the weird connection. Right. Obviously, he says it in the Terminator. And that's 1984. Mm-hmm. He, say, he says it when, in the police station, and he like drives the the car into the police station. That that's like I'll be back, right? Very direct, whatever. In Terminator Two, where I think it is is much more famous. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the 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 cultural pull is from Terminator Two. That's 1991. That's much more personal. I'll be back, and he's like helping someone. Mm-hmm. This is I'll be back. As like 
a direct threat. And it has the only proper response. Like, I don't think anyone's ever responded, now I'll be back in the Terminator franchise. But uh, brilliantly, Richard Dawson says, only in a rerun. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yes. And that's amazing. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Like, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say, this is the only good use of the phrase, I'll be back. <laughs> I'm on board with that. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to be on that. Also, apparently, he uh, said some version of I'll be back in Commando and also in Raw Dude. All okay. right. Fair enough. So so people cashed in on Say that. Say the line, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I really wanted a reaction shot when Sub-Zero died of the lady who loved him and thought that he was cuddly and wonderful. I I feel like we maybe she was the woman who then received a Running Man board game later, but I don't know. <laughs> many people Multiple do that. There are so many shots where we cut back to the studio and Richard Dawson is like in the crowd, like handing out like copies of the Running yeah. Man home game to people. Yes, I, I love the phrase. It's such a like a great timestamp of the way that things were thought at, in the eighties, right? Because it's not the board game; it's the Running Man home game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, which is such a specific and odd and, and like, you know, almost proprietary feeling word. Like we call it the home game. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, you know, that's that's the to stay on on book, as it were. Um, yeah, I just I, I really think that's great. So um, they're, they're doing that. They're going through that. They get to the next point, which is they summon <laughs> video game style. They summon up two um, uh, uh, stalkers. Mm-hmm. In the next one, they summon up Dynamo, like I said, who shoots lightning out of his body while he sings opera, but also drives a cool little go-kart. Yeah, which um, and that's he's not cool. very good at driving, I guess, because he just <laughs> drives it to up up a little rock that's too steep and it just flips right over. <laughs> what? So that was not supposed to happen. What? Um, that little car <laughs> almost caused a severe accident on. Oh side. no! Um, because when when they drove up that thing and it like rolls down the hill, that was not supposed to occur. Um, and there was a scene apparently when they were shooting where it was driving at the camera and like the brakes failed or something, and so it just drove <gasps> like past the camera or right into like the camera apparatus or something. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. The producer who was on the commentary track was like, "We had problems with this little go kart thing." <laughs> It was a bad idea. Um, so, so we got that, and then we got—is uh, it Buzzsaw? Yes. Buzzsaw. Oh wait, I guess there are four. Sorry, I was wrong earlier mm-hmm. when I said there were only three. Because yeah. Dynamo, Fireball, Buzzsaw, and Sub Zero—that's four. Mm-hmm. This is the like the new version of uh, like the the uh, little pigs going to the. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Like, and buzzsaw cuts off the toe. And all Sorry to everyone who uh, heard me so confidently say three earlier and is now tweeting at me angrily. <laughs> they're screaming. Yeah. Like it's it's like a whole a whole group of people who are just. They're angrily. saying I'm just here because I want them to do a Homestuck podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we love numbers and getting them right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so apparently, so this is something that. Um, that Glazer changed as a director. He he got, you know, kind of granular at some points. Apparently, Buzzsaw was supposed to, as you can see in his character, I was going to say character model. <laughs> <laughs> like the video game thing is just like totally yeah. enveloping us by this point. Uh. <laughs> you know, where he's like T-posing around and floating everywhere. <laughs> his animations aren't treated correctly. Huge distracting part of the film. Um, but no, you can see he's got like two little... Um, 
like little mini saws like hanging off of his belt essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was essentially or uh, originally part of his character is instead of of the one big chainsaw he was supposed to have um two or like one uh smaller chainsaw on each arm and it would be kind of like wolverine <gasps> in that way but with chainsaws mm. um and it didn't shoot well apparently it didn't look good and, and it didn't look uh, menacing enough and so they changed it to this one big chainsaw but with a big problem um you know, when, when Ben Richards kills Buzzsaw, we get this really weird shot where he's, like, taking it toward his crotch, and then we cut away, and we see blood going everywhere, and the implication is he's, like, you know, chainsawed him in the crotch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the reason that those shots are so tight and weird-looking is that the actor who played Buzzsaw could not hold the saw up. Oh. He, like, couldn't—he was a power lifter, and so they thought he would just be strong in a general sense— but he was like, yeah, no, I'm not a chainsaw guy. Mm. I don't professionally wield chainsaws. If you've ever used a chainsaw before, they are really weird and, and difficult to kind of operate or hold on to for a long period of time. It's a really weird muscle group. Hmm. And so those shots are so weird because it really was difficult for him to like manipulate and swing that thing around all the time. Um, and so, so yeah, they had, to, and that's actually why some like there's a lot of rolling around on the ground and stuff with him. Yeah. Is uh, they just literally he couldn't do it physically. You've brought up something important, which is I did notice there was quite a bit of dick menacing happening between Buzzsaw and then <laughs> Dynamo, and then I think something bad happens to Sub Zero's crotch as well. Um, and that if if that's if my memory is correct, that's three out of four, <laughs> which <laughs> mm-hmm. seems. But that seems like a lot of, of dick menacing for one film to have. You know, I'm trying to think of its uh, contemporaries. I, I do associate... Why do you think the man is running? Is <laughs> <laughs> he's, afra- he's afraid of what kind of... <laughs> the psychoanalysis tells us that the man is running oh. because ultimately he fears castration. Is Oh, no. <laughs> Get your PhD out of here. <laughs> uh... Yeah, no, but I, you know, I, I kind of associate that a lot with the '80s, though, mm-hmm. in like especially action films, and especially kind of Arnold's comedy action films. You know, mm. like oh yeah, I, I don't know if the last action hero kind of counts, but I remember there being some kind of, as, as you said, dick menacing <laughs> happening there. Um, dick menacing, like private eye. <laughs> 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 uh, that's like definitely like a Lucas Arts adventure game that never got made. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's just kind of part of the genre. Okay. Although you're right, there is something we, that we didn't bring up. Like Dynamo is attempting to sexually assault Amber multiple yes. times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here, okay, here's something that comes up into the com- in the commentary that that I did not put together because uh, I just I never would have figured it out. So when Dynamo crashes his vehicle, this little go kart, and his suit shorts out. Why do you think his shorts his suit shorts out? Ooh, that's a hard one. His suit shorts out. Why do you think that occurs? Now that you've called attention to it, I have an idea, but is it correct? I don't know. Does he pee himself? <laughs> he pees himself. Huh. I never I did not put that together. Neither did and I. The, the director 
is like, and obviously here he's urinating on himself. And obviously. He's peeing his pants. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he says it so confidently. <laughs> and I really want to be like, well, the, the magic of the language of cinema is such that images can communicate <laughs> in, in, in the scene even a little bit. His lights turn all yellow. This is a little old Hollywood trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sidney Lumet would say the way that you best communicate a, a self-urination is no, uh, you know, uh, apparently that occurred. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but so I always thought, so I, actually, you know, I had to watch the movie two times in a row because I was listening to the commentary. And when that happens in the commentary, I thought, oh, that's why in the next scene when he's attacking Amber... He doesn't have pants on. Oh, that's right. Because he does. I no, though. Here's the thing. He does have. Pants he does. On. He's pulled down. Yeah, he oh, starts yeah. with pants, and then she kicks him in the balls, and then it, in the next <laughs> shot, he's <laughs> not wearing movie. pants anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's still wearing them. They're just pulled down to his ankles. Yeah. Which is even weirder. It's it's very evocative. <laughs> It is evocative. It was negatively in a lot of, in strong, strongly negatively evocative of, of, of what's going on. Um, but so, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. There's a lot going on there. They could have shown me some pee. That's all I'll say about that. Because I, I did not get it until you implied there was something more to get from that car crash scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was just thinking like, was his suit sad that the car got crashed? Like, are oh, the suit and go kart friends? You sweet innocent man, <laughs> <laughs> sympathetic. You think there's like a sympathetic relationship? But that's what I always thought. I thought, oh, he crashed and just broke his suit. Yeah, because that makes well, sense. Oh, that's it. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, I mean, I'm, I'm being be serious. That does make sense. Sing. There's like no need to read into it more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. but, but yeah, the intended reading here is uh, um, is that he's urinating on himself. Uh, but yeah, he's he's bad um, in a, in a broad sense, and uh, that that happens. Mm. He 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 and uh, uh, Bussar are defeated in various ways, and then we get Fireball, who is like. I love the way that Fireball shows up earlier in the film. It's just like a dude in the green. Yeah. And he's kind of like, yes. yeah, older man. I, he's got great hair. He's got this like white stripe in his hair, which is really cool. Yeah. What I loved about those scenes is how it is not clear at first that that is the green room for the show. It just looks like a bunch yeah. of people at a watch party. And then you mm-hmm. realize like, oh, crap, the stalkers are in there. Yeah. yeah. That is one of. He's so. Oh, go on. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's another one of my favorite things is just we have all of this intercutting between the show and the live studio audience. And then I think an actual watch party and people watching in the slums, like with their big betting mm-hmm, board mm-hmm, and then the green mm-hmm. room, too. And that moment is so great because you, you really you've seen this guy several times. And then it's a moment where suddenly he sort of steps into the foreground. And yeah, like you said, oh, shit, he's a stalker. Um, but you've already kind of met him in this very casual context. And I just I just love that about the production behind the scenes of the show. You're seeing these people off stage and it's so just it's it feels so lived in, you know? Yeah. 
it feels like a real world. Yeah. Like people who are real, you know, interrelated with one another. And, and I really like when we see the shots of fireball, because like, I think the first time we see him, he's just like in that room and like, we don't even focus on him. But the second shot, I think we actually pan over to the right a little bit and he's center frame almost. And he's like clearly interested, but we have no idea who mm. he is. And then, you know, as you're saying, the next one we find out, oh, he's suiting up. He's a dude. Uh, you know, who matters here. And he's like older than everyone else by a little bit. You know, it's clear that he, you know, is someone who is um, maybe on the other side of his career. You know, he's someone who is experienced. Mm. Um, I don't know. I love it. I, th- I think he's so great. Um, and then we find out that all the people who quote unquote win the running man just get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and then this, in this last quadrant. Oh, that was, uh, that. And, and like you kind of suspect because you're, you're shown this, package clip of them enjoying themselves in Hawaii and they're like yeah we're having a great time so glad I run I won the running man hard to say um that should have been our first sign um and then of course Mm -hmm. Amber finds their bodies their desiccated corpses and she starts looking at the dog tags and I was like I vaguely recognize those names who are they and then when you hear the three of them together it's like oh (laughs) I turned into dynamo just there (laughs) (laughs) Um, the other thing that I love about Fireball I'm getting so much spit in my mouth because I'm so excited about this Um, (laughs) I when I first saw him when you first see him step on stage he has his blowtorch because that's his whole deal Um, and jetpacks I guess I love him but he (laughs) has sort of a a low fire setting for the blowtorch and when I first saw it I was like Okay, that's silly. And then he goes into the big fire. Um, It kind of looks like a creme brulee torch, like you would use to just, like, (laughs) blacken the top of a creme brulee. But when he is in that tiny room with her and all the corpses, and he just flicks on the low setting of the torch, and it's, like, kind of purple, I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. actually, this is super effective. And I, like, knowing that there is another, this is just the prelude to, like, burninating someone um it was very intense and it it was very effective for me yeah i think it works i think uh flamethrowers are scary yeah yeah Yeah, they are (laughs) like in a visceral level and uh i i love that it's like a combo flamethrower and also flight device that's super cool (laughs) it's cool that he like does like a like a PR moment, right? Where he takes off to go and go to the Running Man Arena or whatever yeah. it is. Like all that works and it's super cool. And it and the effect I wouldn't say is like super well done, but it also doesn't look corny or cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's shot kind of straight on, you know, like, yep, you're watching a man fly and you're watching a man land. Um, they don't try to kind of trick photography do it or like make it look more impressive than it is um it feels a lot like i think some of the the best looking shots in this movie uh look like john carpenter movies from the same era Mm -hmm. um you know of just like flatly this is the thing and you can kind of see the artifice of the effect but if the movie is working then you don't really care Mm -hmm. um you know i think some of the best parts of the thing are like that where it's like oh this doesn't look like 100 percent you know uh realistic quote-unquote right but i giving something over to the movie and just buying into it like really pays off Mm -hmm. um there but yeah uh ben richards unfortunately murders him extremely quickly oh Mm -hmm. yeah i wrote in my notes i don't want to see fireball die i love fireball and then six exclamation marks so that's the kind of thought that i was working with at this point in the movie very deep engagement 
He, he was he, he was too old for this shit. Yeah, he was. he was he was one day from retirement. Ooh, I have a a question from further up in my notes. So, is it Laughlin who says the line, "I don't want to be the only asshole in heaven, Ben"? Yes, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I love it so much. <laughs> it's a good line. However, under it, it sounds like there's a Final Fantasy VII song playing in the soundtrack. Like the whatever okay. song they're playing at that moment is a video game song or sounds like. Uh, it. Okay. So yes, okay. The other thing, one, I love that yes. line. Two, I noticed this exact same thing. What yes! the hell? <laughs> like there is something in. So Harold Faltermeyer did the soundtrack for this, did the score. So he's the guy who did um, Axel F from Beverly Hills Cop, and he also did uh, mm. the soundtrack to Top Gun. Um, so uh, you know, has has kind of his own repertoire, but like that specific sound cue, which I heard in that scene and a couple of others, like I have heard in somewhere else. And it yeah, it sounded I was like, I've heard this in a video game. What the hell is this? And I could not place it. I meant to the- look up the soundtrack before this to try to make to try to answer this for myself, but I'm I'm so glad that I'm not alone here. Uh, it's on Spotify. If you're interested in that, the full orchestral score <laughs> yeah, or, or uh, full soundtrack is on there. I've listened to it. Um, it's good. Michael coming to you in the edit to let you know that Simone was kind enough to do uh, a little bit of research and managed to dig up the specific track that this was reminding us both of. Uh, so I'm going to drop in for you here uh, the sound cue from the soundtrack of The Running Man. Listen, we're counting on you. Don't let us down. I don't want to be the only asshole in heaven. And now compare that uh, to the following, which is uh, the track Infiltrating Shinra uh, by Nobuo Uematsu from the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. But, but uh, like ten minutes into the movie, uh, uh, my, my my very brave wife. If people who listen to the show know I have an extremely brave mm. wife. Um, she sat through the movie twice with me, uh, of course. And uh, like ten minutes into the movie, the first time she was like, "Why is all the music here the same music from Twin?" <gasps> <laughs> oh. um, because it has that same that same kind of synthy, you know, Angelo Badalamenti kind yeah. of. Uh, vibe to it and so i kind of feel like that's the missing inner text there this is somewhere between twin peaks and final fantasy (laughs) 7 yeah Yeah. like there's something about those like soft and slow piano tones that kind of like progressively move Mm -hmm. um yeah i really once she said that i heard it the whole time i was like oh yeah this is kind of like that um those are like my Angelo. I want it to sound like the Running Man. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this movie, The Running Man? <laughs>
correct. <laughs> Cancelled. Oh, that's another thing. I wrote down when Damon Killian says, I just hate to see you get cancelled tonight to bed. Damon Killian invented cancelling. Speaking <sighs> of cancelling, what a great moment to bring this in. So I asked you at the beginning of the episode, Simone, of what you knew about Richard Dawson. <gasps> And uh, the reason I say this is I don't think he's particularly worse unless someone has some some information. I don't. I don't think he's particularly worse than any other man like working in Hollywood in the 1970s, although perhaps the bar is very low in that regard. Um, But during his time hosting the Family Feud for many years, he would kiss one woman on the mouth from all any of the teams square on the mouth uh, before the game began. He would say, good luck. And smooch a woman square in the face. So, you know, we, we just did this uh, for our um, main episode. Uh, Michael provided a clip to me. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. But Michael provided a clip to me and got my live reaction. So I'm going to do the same thing to you. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. Let me give you a video. And the video title for everyone who is playing along at home, <gasps> it's called Richard Dawson Kisses 200 Plus Women Family Feud Full Season 1980. Okay, I'm, I'm popping this open. Discord is asking me so if just, I'm sure, which, fair enough. <laughs> you're sure. I, I, hopefully you're sure. Oh, I'm so sure. Just, just watch this supercut of Richard Dawson uh, kissing women full on the mouth in 1980, and just give me your live reaction Okay, to that. yeah, we're going. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. There's mm-hmm. a lot of little noises. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no. It's not good. It's bad. it's pretty bad. It's, it's he just chooses at. one woman. Oh, and there's a scene in the movie where he does this with a woman in the audience. Yes, yes, because this was like not quite a catch. Oh God, it's why? It's like a, it was like his calling card. No, it was his call. It was what Richard Dawson was known. This for. is nine minutes long. Oh yeah, it's. Like, I think Michael watched the majority of it when I saw ah. it. Ah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep watching it. Now, hang on. He just kissed four in a row. That seems like cheating. <laughs> okay. That's too much I love. made it 52 seconds um, in. Uh-huh. So, well, so here's the thing. Does that change your reading of the character of Damien Killian? No. Does that make him more nefarious, perhaps? I mean, it, Dam- Damon Killian runs a game show where people die. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that any anything could do that. It, it maybe makes me enjoy Richard Dawson less, um, although the the character I still find completely delightful and nefarious in a good way. Richard Dawson said that he eventually stopped doing this because he hosted. He got tired. His lips got tired. Shows. He he did, uh, yeah. It was it was just you know, uh, it was ultimately taking up a lot of time yeah. that he didn't have. But uh, no, eventually Richard Dawson quit doing this, and there and uh, there's a quote from him. This is on like Wikipedia, and the quote uh, from him about why he stopped kissing women again, full on the lips, who were contestants on his game show. Um, the reason he stopped is that he had a daughter, <gasps> and he promised his daughter he wouldn't kiss any women other than her mom. Classic daughter move. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fathers of daughters out there, Dawson. give yourselves a pat on the back and pour one out <laughs> for Richard Dawson's lips. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, patting and, uh, patting and Yeah, if, if you can. It's sort of a pat yeah. your head, rub your tummy kind of 
deal. It's our uh, congratulation based podcast where we just mm-hmm. congratulate people. Mm-hmm. It's called patting and <laughs> Um I, Other stuff. Well, so we get to the yeah. ending. Uh, can I mention uh, one other detail? Totes. Yeah, please. This is just a, a background gag that I love so much. Uh, in Dawson's kind of uh, office slash dressing room that we see him in a couple of times, uh, you can see on at the on like the back wall. There are posters for presumably other shows <laughs> yes. that he's produced or whatever. And there's one that is just like the poster is just like a stock photo of a sailboat on a lake. And the title in just like regular like it's just it's a very plain thing. It, but the title is The Hate Boat. Yes. <laughs> Which is so funny. I love that joke. I love the idea that in this far future murder television world, there's a TV show called The Hate the Boat. Hate boat. <laughs> Well, I, I love the other show that they we get the commercial for called Climbing for yes! Dollars. <laughs> and they shot a whole thing for that. Yes, it's so good. You get attacked by a you're you're climbing up a rope like a like a gym class 1980s, you know, teen comedy uh, rope. And you have money in your hands and you're being attacked by dogs. Yeah. And you got to climb that rope, but you got to hold on to your money while you, you do gotta it. You got to put your money in your teeth and climb that rope. You do. What happens you if do. you get high enough that the dogs can't grab your feet? It never made it clear to me. Okay. You win. That works. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Buzzsaw's up there. <laughs> <laughs> Sawing the <laughs> rope. Just challenge number one. Uh, uh, but uh, let's see. So there's that. Oh, yeah. So Dweezil Zappa, Frank Zappa's. Yeah. Uh, the I'm sorry. I keep screaming yes, but that's how I felt. Again, this is another situation where I was Googling the cast and I was like, come on. Come on. And this actually is what sparked my concern that I uh, tweeted at you about, Cameron. Um, I found out Dweezil Zappa's in this and I was like, but that's a real person. He's the don't touch that dial guy. Um, and then I became concerned that Richard Dawson was Richard Dawkins because I couldn't remember his name. And I, I really, that was a, I, I had to look up that one real quick because that would have been real weird if that had been a fun crossover that happened in the 1987 film, The Running Man. Uh, yeah, I mean, every, everyone knows there, it's easy to get these things uh, mixed up. I mean, we know that Richard uh, Dawson very famously had to throw away a little uh, jar of honey <laughs> and was upset about it. Um he, he tried to, of course, get revenge by kissing all the TSA agents full on the <laughs> lips. Um, that really didn't play the same way in 2011 <laughs> as it did in 1980. Um, uh, and and that's the that's the really the worst thing that uh, <laughs> Richard Dawson's ever done. Dawkins or Dawson? Um, well, Don't you both. get mixed no, up now? Uh, Richard Dawkins has done so much. So worse. much. Uh, Richard Dawkins is like my personal enemy. Um, I, we don't have to. But, <laughs> it's uh, fair. I, I wouldn't be happy to see him here. I would rather have Richard Dawson, but they should really work on this name thing. That's a problem. Well, I think <laughs> I'm just imagining Richard Dawkins now, in this movie being like, well, this is totally irrational. Uh, <laughs> it would be a different would it, I mean, with all the other cameos that are happening, would it really be that weird? Yes, it would. Don't answer that. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, Richard Dawson is dead. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, I was going to say, well, hopefully he'll outlive Richard Dawkins, but uh, until we, we can still have to live uh, with that man. do some sort of time crime on Richard Dawkins, <laughs> uh, Richard Dawson will sadly have died first. Swap him out. Um, 
Yeah. He's in the uh, Westward Village Memorial Park Cemetery, uh, in case you're wondering about. In case I want to do a necromancy? Well, in case you just want to go look, see what's up. The uh, so that happens. Dweezil Zappa is like doing a uh, rebellion. Oh, one other thing that we didn't mention beforehand: what the big turn that happens, you know, about bringing um, the resistance online and like really oh, the, uplink, the audience the turning. Network. Well, not just the uplink, although that does happen, right? They they like hack the the network satellite to like allow the masses to know what's going mm. on. Uh, but no, the, the thing I was going to say is that uh, when the third person is polled about, like, which of the stalkers do you want to bring, she says, uh, uh, I, you, know, uh, you know, who's going to do the next kill? She says, I think Ben Richards is going to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then she says the F word for some reason. She does. Yes. She's like, he's, she's like, he's fucking cool. Or <laughs> I Oh, he's a mean motherfucker. That's what she says. Yes. Uh, And it's great. She's like all these like bit characters who are playing like, you know, middle America. Yeah. They're all doing Mm -hmm. a great job. Uh, But yeah, so they invade the studio and, uh, you know, take everybody out. um, And uh, then they strap uh, Richard Dawson into a rocket car and then blow him up. They shoot him yeah. into a wall. And at this point, into a one billboard of, the, of himself. Oh yeah. yeah. Into a billboard of himself. Uh, yeah, one yeah. of the extras in the studio crowd at this point yells, yeah, all right. Yeah. And it rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, uh, w- over the course of this, uh, the bonus notes for mm-hmm. the show, we have run into several, I think, really interesting moments of how do you end a movie? <laughs> um, because people don't know how to do it, right? Like, it's really yeah. hard, you know. Uh, Maximum Overdrive really ends with that, like, and they lived on an island, and then the machine stopped killing everyone, right? It's like this text crawl. Uh, Kujo just ends on a freeze frame. And this one ends in a, a fairly traditional, you know, they're getting together. There's a little bit of a romance plot that is never set up throughout the movie, but it, which is paid off for no reason here that was a uh, uh, john glazer's personal maneuver he had to fight the studio to get like this kiss in what him. oh my god um, why what why are yes, they against it i don't know they were i they they wanted they wanted my ending okay. okay so this is my ending i'm pitching and this is the one apparently the studio basically wanted to go with i think this movie should have ended with richard dawson hits the billboard of himself it blows up freeze frame <gasps> credits okay <laughs> You know what? Wouldn't that have been so much better? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Because I I don't think they really... I'm looking at my notes, and there's nothing really after this. I wrote, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Um, And who the fuck is Phil Hilton? But there's nothing really plot-related after that. That uh, seems to have a... Yeah. Yeah, who is Phil Hilton? He's the announcer. And I was like, and it specifically, so I, I believe this is the very, very end of the movie as they're doing like some kind of VO for the TV show or something. And he goes, I'm Phil Hilton and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, who, who are you? Where, 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 where was I introduced to you? And I could not figure this out. Um, but Phil Hilton, he, oh, Phil Hilton running man is a common Google search. Maybe just for yeah, me. Yeah, oh, played is. by Roger Bumpass. <laughs> yes, yes, Roger yeah. Bumpass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. He just says, I'm Phil Hilton. Good night and take care. Maybe, I mean, this is just kind of part of the, uh, the, the formula yeah. right? of the, uh, the, gosh, you know, whatever, you know, thank you. Thanks, Johnny, mm-hmm. you know, for, from Jeopardy and, uh, whoever the person is for the price is right. Right. Like, you know, it's kind of part of the formula that the announcer gets their own kind of verbal. He's the Lester Holt so. of ICS. Yeah, what is that? He's the Dateline the guy. Holt. Oh, this is uh, extremely important news. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Roger Bumpass. <laughs> also, the voice of Squidward from SpongeBob. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, Cameron. Uh, we we discover some great. Yeah, stuff. we really do. I agree. I think your ending would have been good. I do. It was a good kiss in terms of not plot, but just the physicality of it. I thought it was a good kiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well shot. You know, great eyeline match. You know, you know uh, technically well executed. I'm just not sure it, it did much for me. One no. way or another. Uh, I will say though, there's a credit song, and the credit song's pretty good. Yeah. it's like you know, good old fashioned 1980s, like you know, uh, guitar rock. Yeah, you know, like a guitar ballad. That's the song. Trying to relate. Hold on, I want to read the uh, "Running Away with You." I think is what it's called. Oh, excellent! I think it, it was an original song uh, recorded for the film. Yes, yeah. and I, I would, I would love to read uh, the. Where is the lyrics? I want to pull these up. Hold on. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, uh, John Parr, "Restless Heart." Oh, John Parr. So uh, uh, the guy who did Saint Elmo's Fire is yes. who's singing this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, Restless Heart. Uh, oh, that's a great movie, by the way. Sound almost fire. Let's just do another one. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, sorry. Lyrics. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> this is no game, standing in the dark. I swear I heard you calling my name, and I knew things had changed. No pain, no gain. Something in your eyes just told me that this nightmare would end, and I had found a friend. Shout it from the highest steeple. Let it out to all the people. Play it on the loudest speaker. Burning like the highest fever. You hit the right spot. No more lonely nights with a restless heart. Roll the dice. Make a brand new start. When the world you knew got shattered, you and me were all that mattered. Just one way i'm gonna lose this restless heart running away with you yeah <laughs> yeah that chorus is great shout it from the highest steeple let it out to all the people played on the loudest speaker burning like the highest fever that's mm-hmm. great that's good classic 80s songwriting uh, i cannot believe that danger zone became the big hit of, of the 1980s and this didn't despicable um because yeah it's good it's good stuff um you know uh Un- underappreciated songs from the 1980s that are made for movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, of course, uh, Restless Heart slash Running Away With You. Um, the Gremlins theme song. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yes, that's it is. Uh, and that's it. That's the full Those list. are all the songs from the <laughs> 80s. All right. Mm-hmm. Those were the two. Um, I'm looking at the quote now uh, on IMDb, the Phil Hilton, the final line. It, it is the line that plays out over the credits where he's doing a fake ad read for all of the products. Um, mm-hmm. And that I did find really funny. The breakaway paramilitary uniforms or tro- pure procreation <laughs> pill and cadre cola. It hits the spot. Um, Kelton flamethrowers, another sponsor. Uh, so that I, <laughs> I that was just one of those little touches that made me go, this is... 
delightful, and everyone involved in this movie knew what they were doing, which is apparently not the case. <laughs> but oh, if, if there is one thing that listening to the commentary track revealed to me, it's that this is pure luck that this came. Miracles are like, real, even as a film, even as a film that like makes sense moment to moment. It's pure luck. I, this this would be my you know if if I were really like push to to think about heart this movie really hard i think that there are probably some below the line people in this movie and and d'souza might be one of those people the the screenwriter but i think that there are people in the production design department probably the stunt coordinators um and then some people with the ability maybe an assistant director who actually are the people who made the majority of decisions on Mm. this film and are the reason that it actually holds together um i because listening to the producer and director talk, I just do not see how they <laughs> produce this movie in any kind of way. But also, it, it, you know, I'm listening to them talk about it 20 years after the fact. And, you know, it could be that they've just not thought about they it. They just don't hard. remember. That guy made Kazam in the middle, right? Oh, yeah. You know, he's, he had stuff that's going gotta, on. That's got to mess you up. <laughs> yeah. That oh. scene where he crushes the man into a little basketball. <laughs> you, you never get away from that. Mm-hmm. Another kind of video game logic movie. Now, there was a video game made from this, right? The Running Man? From, yes. From, yes. Yes, from The Running yeah. Man. I watched a long play of it earlier today. Uh, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a platformer. It's like a ZX Spectrum. Yeah, it's a platformer, huh. and you're like running around and kicking and jumping and whatnot. Um, I got pretty excited I didn't feel like every was... time I saw him run. The first time he ran when he was out <laughs> running that car at the airport, I was like... Yeah, that's the running man. <laughs> uh, well, weirdly enough about that. Uh-oh. I, so, you know, <laughs> he was actually obviously. running from the police at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Arnold had gotten into some trouble beforehand. No. Um, you, you know, so in the scenes where we are not seeing his face, it's a stunt double. And in the scenes where we're seeing his face, it's really Arnold. And you can tell that Arnold Schwarzenegger does not do a lot of running <gasps> in his life. When it's the scenes of Arnold, and you can tell that his stunt double does a lot of running <laughs> when it's the stunt double, because I would say that there's a probably two or three full mile per hour difference between their runs. He's got um, a really straight backed, confident run. That stunt double. Uh, apparently, they just called the airport and they were like, "Hey, can we just shoot on the airport?" You know, like on the tarmac, and the airport was like, "Yeah, go ahead, just go over here to the side part. We don't use too much." Oh. <laughs> and there was like no difficult because the director's like, "Yeah, I don't know what kind of strings the producers pulled to do this." And the, the producer in the commentary track was like, "Yeah, we just called the airport." And he was like, "You would never do that today. They would never allow oh, you to wow. do that." But uh, but yeah, so it was apparently easy. Apparently, uh, that guy kind of the stunt double kind of got hurt. Oh a little no, bit because oh. Uh, he really got shot with a net gun. What? Ooh, oh no. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't running at full speed when he did it. But yeah, you can see, actually, if you like uh, w- watch closely in the scene, his elbow is like really scraped up from hitting the hitting the. Okay. You know, actually, I did notice that, and I thought that's a cool touch. Uh-oh. <laughs> Gee. Okay. He didn't feel that way when he hit the ground. <laughs> Turns out the people who were here for the blood sport were us. <laughs> oh, no. We're complicit. They do a lot of, there's a lot of that chatter in the commentary. They're like, you know, this was a a criticism of media at the time. And, uh, you know, it's only gotten more. They they say a lot, and Michael, I shared this with you. They mention a lot that there were, quote unquote, like Japanese torture shows that existed at the time in the 80s. 
that they were riffing on, and I don't know what that means, and I didn't investigate it. Um, but uh, but certainly they have this kind of imagination yeah. of of that, and then they say, oh, of course, reality TV came along, and you know everything that we talked about came came true, blah 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 blah. You can imagine um, these older gentlemen talking about that. I bet they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, the dancers that show up. <gasps> yes. Um, uh, Paula Abdul choreographed that before she was so famous. good. I loved it when they changed from their regular like blue outfits into their morning dance outfits. Yes, after... they did the morning dance. <laughs> was so that good. after Buzzsaw died, or was it just when Sub Zero died? I don't remember, but it was spectacular. Oh, I love how also there were some shots like the the dancers are how they introduce the show. Like that's kind of like the opening mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so there's that long scene of the dancers just kind of dancing on stage. And then you get all of these shots of what we mentioned earlier, like all of the watch parties. And people are like going nuts over these dancers. And I think, you know, it was maybe a situation where they were just being told to react what they thought they were seeing. You know, like this is happening on the screen and you're excited or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it turns out like the footage that they're actually watching is just like, you know, maybe 16 women doing a, a, a just a dance routine like it's not a, 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 a an incredible like wire food dance routine but it's people like cheering and like fist pumping at the sc- i mean that's how i felt when i was watching this <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also kind of a different time right like uh, you know this is kind of at the peak or, or maybe actually right before the peak i think the early 90s is when this really kicked in of like the dallas cowboys cheerleaders having such huge mm. cultural oh. influence and that like being a thing mm-hmm. you know that that mattered a lot and i think that like basketball dance teams were a really big thing at the time um you know we we weirdly enough live in a time now right where micro celebrity is so uh, suffused everywhere that like that stuff just doesn't register into unless you're in that world but like i remember certainly in the early 90s that like the the cultural imagination of like you know uh, like the, the important professional sport cheerleaders really mattering mm. you know like a material way and so i you know i think it's in that mode of like you know in the future people are going to love it when uh people try to murder each other and there's going to be hot dancers <laughs> showing you how it's done um and that's just like part of the you know i think it's part of the same stuff that like makes the middle america stuff work too yeah like they're finally these people have gotten into a live taping of their favorite show ever and they're seeing the famous ICS or ISC dancers introducing the running man. Of course they're going nuts. Uh, There was another great moment. I'm getting into like super granular stuff now. Um, So after. Have you listened to our show? (laughs) So many times. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, let's not pretend that we're broad strokes. At the hour 50 mark, I'm rewinding to the beginning of the movie to tell you about this one shot. Uh, After Arnold gets injected with all the, I don't know, beta blockers or whatever they put in him before to prepare him for the show. No, it's barium. They inject him with barium. Um, Mm -hmm. Or to track him. Yeah, that's fine. There is just this one shot of the doctor who has done the injecting, and he's, like, reclined in a chair in this blue medical room, and he lights a cigarette and says he's ready to go, or something like that. And he's wearing this all-white outfit, and I it, it was good. <laughs> so 
also, this is I, the point where I was like, maybe there are homoerotic themes in this movie. This is super <laughs> hot. There's something about this Chris Pine-ass looking doctor lighting a cigarette right before Arnold gets put in a cell and like in his little boxer shorts and tank top is like trying to resist the poison gas. It's knocking him out. I don't know. It was very, it was interesting to me. Yes. No, I that same shot, I was like, this is yeah. great. Like, this is a good image. This is an image that does not belong in this film, mm-hmm. right? Like, someone made a choice. They were like, no, we got to have the doctor say he's ready. Yeah. Like, uh, he, and we got to have, like, you know, he, lighting a cigarette after you've just uh, uh, been in, in uh, you know, intimately close with someone, that's perhaps a trope in cinema. Yeah, oh my right? God, you're right. And then, we, and then we get the payoff. But but this is the thing. This is just like the kind of like her being tied up in the apartment, right? Yeah. Someone's very particular image of what <gasps> intimacy looks like is being is on display yes. here, right? Like mm-hmm. it it is an imagination that is singular and focused. And you know what? Um, and again, oh, go on, finish your thought. Or, well, just this movie went through multiple edits, and this ended up in the final. And one. thank God, thank you, <laughs> up, uh, Mr. Glazer. Shot. Um, I guess, but this he's is like, like <laughs> Paul Michael Glazer sitting there at the editing booth, and he's like, "This is real friggin' hot." <laughs> no, 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 leave it in. <laughs> yeah. Put I, if if this isn't in the final cut, I'm yeah. <laughs> Bring name. on a fourth director, um, but yeah. so. It, it makes me think about, again, how many good one-line characters are in this movie. And just knowing a little bit about film, the little bit I know is that, like, if you have an extra or an actor, any actor say one line, you're paying a lot more than when you have them just appear in a scene and silently go woo, and then they overdub it later. So all of these characters, like the woman who calls Ben Richards a mean motherfucker, this doctor who's like being sexy with this cigarette, um, <laughs> Dweezil Zappa. <laughs> There's a bunch of people in this movie who never appear except to say one really cool line. And I think that that shows that someone out there cares. Yeah. And the fact that it made it into the final yeah. film, too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder, because I know that those, those like, singular, single line roles, like, um, featured extras is yeah. what they're called. I know that those have been renegotiated over the years. Oh, that's so true. It might not know. have been the same at the time. Yeah, or, or, no, it actually might be the flip. They might have gotten way more money at the time. And so that might have been the reason to do Ooh. it. It's like, all right, you got a friend who needs to make some extra cash. Mm. So, you know, let, let, he's the sexy doctor and he's going to say his line. Yeah. Right. Um, because, yeah, I think you I think over the years, things like like roles like the quote unquote feature extra were invented in order to pay those people less than like, you know, a two line actor or whatever. And I know there was like weird G markers and it's like. Between one and 15 lines is a certain pay mm. bracket, and like 15 lines and over is a certain pay bracket, and like no lines is a different pay bracket. So I don't know. But yeah, it, it, those are definitely intentional feeling um, things. Um, and, and the one who, the woman who calls him a, you know, a mean motherfucker or whatever, uh, she feels like it feels like she had 30 more lines in the movie and they were all. Yeah. <laughs> You know, side character. Um, okay, well, you know, um, we've been going for a minute. Is there any? Are there any other single individual shots <laughs> that we feel like we need to comment? On? Uh, Captain Freedom's outfit looks like a PC gaming shell. Is that anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Great. Yep. Um. Yeah, that's right. 
I think that's pretty much it. All of my other notes are just about how good the lights are at the end when they're in that vaguely mm. like pink lighting. Mm. But I have nothing to say mm. about it. All of my other notes are just this is great and it looks cool because that's the emotional space that I entered in the <laughs> latter half of the film. There, there is a shot in this um in this movie where Arnold is in like a blue and red room and it's reflecting on him. And, uh, it looks exactly like all the bisexual. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I I was like, Oh my God, Arnold Schwarzenegger invented bisexual lighting in 1987. (laughs) Like this, this movie has, this movie has it all right. It has bisexual lighting. It has, uh, like an open world, like chaos, mini boss, like zone setup thing. It has (laughs) hacking mini games that don't make any sense at all yes uh, like it's it's just it's everything it's my favorite budget title from 2013 <laughs> <laughs> um okay well that's great um thanks so much for joining us on this episode simone where can people find you on wow the you can find me on twitter and instagram at doom quasar and you can find my videos more importantly at youtube.com slash polygon where i make video essays for the entertainment and culture website Polygon.com. Mm-hmm. And do you have any of those that you want to, that you've done recently you want to promote oh. here? Tell, tell people uh, what, which of those are your favorite? Recently? Gosh, let me remind myself what videos I've made. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-oh. Great, great, great. great. <laughs> Create short-term this is memories. Why you have to do, do things like read all of the, uh, 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 the novels of Stephen King in publication order because then you just just think, okay, what happened in the past? Yeah. No, I don't know what happened <laughs> okay, in the past. It. Oh gosh, okay, yes, my my most previous video that I did that I'm very 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 proud of is this controversy explainer on a thing that happened in Neopets recently. Uh, earlier this year, there was mm-hmm. a black market pet scandal, um, and the levels of drama that that community can find are so fascinating in the way that only forum drama can be. Like, everything gets so heightened in that text space. Um, So I I recommend you check that out if you want a drama explainer about something that nobody fully understands. Well, that's a great segue for me to talk about uh, something that was birthed out of forum drama that no one understands, and that's the perspective show that Michael and I are going to do on Homestuck. Um, and uh, if you are listening to this episode, you are already contributing um, to getting us to our $4,500 a month Patreon goal. Um, uh, thanks so much for your contribution. Thanks so much for uh, helping us get there. Um, but your your task is not yet done, much like Ben Richards, who uh, did not have to kill uh, a single stalker, but had to kill multiple in a row. You now have to drag in uh, several of your greatest uh, friends or foes in beyond the Patreon wall to help us get there to $4,500 a month. So, dear listener, please, if you like the show, if you like listening to it, if you liked listening to Simone talk about uh, the sexy doctor with a cigarette, mm. then tell some of your friends about it. Tell them how much you like the show and how much you like listening to this episode. Uh, post about it on social media. Uh, we don't do any advertising. We literally only uh, expand by word of mouth, and we've done that in really cool ways, and we're really proud of that, and we're really happy with all of you for doing that. You don't want to draw our ire. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. I want to get Mountain King <laughs> on you. I'm gonna, you ever seen Fantasia? You ever see that winged guy showed up in Kingdom Hearts? 
parts? You draw our ire, and then we take out advertisements. Exactly. They're advertisements calling for your destruction. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so this is really a revenge book show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, um, you know, thanks so much for, because I've seen a lot of people on social media sharing the, the show recently and saying how much they like Just King Things. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Just please keep it up. We, we really appreciate it. And it actually does contribute to serious and real growth. Uh, when people share this show and share their opinions about this show, other people listen to it. It really does move the needle in serious and cool ways. So thanks for doing that, and please continue to do it. It really helps us out um, and allows us to keep making this stuff um, and and buys a lot of Stephen King reading and watching time and buys a lot of Blu-rays. I got a lot of Stephen King media <laughs> <laughs> that has accrued. Uh, just recently, I purchased the um, Blu-ray for... Oh, gosh. What is that? Needful Things. Oh, wow. Um, which has recently been uh, issued by Kino Lorber. Um, <laughs> so I had to buy that thing. Kino Lorber, my favorite <laughs> Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's all to say. Thanks so much for your support. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next month. Michael, we have not talked about what we will be doing for... The, because next uh, next month's um, uh, book is The Gunslinger. Mm -hmm. Are we doing the Dark Tower movie? I feel like we're not. I I don't know. I have not seen it. I have uh, avoided seeing it, and I was going to wait for kind of your take on whether or not that should be what we watch for that film. Or for, yeah, for that episode, I, that, um, that film. I feel like we, I feel like we shouldn't, I'll be honest. Uh, if only because it's a kind of a different take and it really has more to do with like the full series than it does the guns. Interesting. You know, the, the first, first book. So, uh, or the, yeah, the first uh, book of the series. So I, I think w we will puzzle that out and we will make an announcement uh, when this episode comes out. Michael again. If you've already listened to the main episode, you know this, but we have made our decision. Next month's bonus episode will be 1995's The Mangler. So uh, look forward to that. You know, check our Twitter, twitter.com slash range touch. And of course, go to patreon.com slash range touch to find out all the other stuff that we are up to or just range touch.com. One last thing to say, uh, we're going to be doing a Q&A on next month's book episode. And so because it's our anniversary, we'll, we've been making this show for one year. So if you have cool information or cool questions or things you want to share with us about the show, you want us to talk about on the show, you got burning questions that you can't ask us any other way, um, you can send us a Discord message, you can send us a Patreon message, or you can tweet at us or whatever, um, and we'll talk about it on the show. We're going to do probably, I don't know, a half hour or something of Q&A. So if you got a burning question we've never addressed on the show, something about the first 12 books or so that we have read, let us know, um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on next month's show. We're also going to have, I'm going to say it, Michael, mm -hmm. we're launching a merch store. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're going to have some some cool stuff. I don't want to say exactly what we've got going on yet, but uh, we should have a t-shirt that will be available and then something else too, which is going to be pretty exciting. So mm -hmm. um, uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks again so much, Simone, for joining us. And, uh, you know, we got a famous catchphrase. Simone, do you want to take us out with a catchphrase? Yeah, I do. Does one of you have to ask me the question first? Why are we doing it, Simone? We're doing it for Steve! Ah!